Well, Luke chapter 2 is where we are. Will you take your Bibles and turn there, please? Luke chapter 2. We read the text a moment ago with our children, so I'm not going to go back and reread it again. I'm just going to take it as we go through the text together. Luke chapter 2. The message this morning is simply the good news of Christmas. The good news of Christmas. It is, of course, here in Luke chapter 2 that we see the birth of Christ. What God promised in Genesis, what the prophets foretold throughout the Old Testament scriptures, what Gabriel prophesied to both Joseph and Mary, it's, it's now come to pass. God has become a man. Think about it. In Luke chapter 2, we discover that God has made our world his home also. In the greatest act of humility the world has ever known, God stooped down to us in order to save sinners from eternal wrath. This church family is the good news of Christmas. In fact, Christmas is all about the good news of Jesus Christ. In our text, Luke chapter 2, the angel said to the shepherds, fear not, verse 10, behold, I bring you good news, good news. This good news that the angels speak of, this good news that I speak of this morning, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what the word gospel means, evangelion. It's the word meaning good news, good news, specifically God's good news. The angels are saying, behold, I bring you the gospel. I bring you the gospel, the good news. So let's make it extremely clear on this Christmas Day morning, lest we get sidetracked by the season's festivities. Christmas is a celebration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what Christmas is. It is a celebration of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of God. Now, good news is only good when we come to understand the significance of the bad news. And good news means so much more to us when we see the bad news. The bad news is that Romans tells us in chapter 3 and verse 10 that none is righteous, no, not one. In other words, we're all on the naughty list. None of us are good. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together we have become Worthless, Romans says. No one does good. Not even one. Our throats are an open grave. We use our tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under our lips. Our mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Our feet are swift to shed blood. In our path is ruin and misery and the way of peace we often do not know. There is no fear of God before our eyes. 
That's the bad news. And of course, to make the bad news worse, Romans goes on to tell us that those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there is waiting for them wrath and fury. That is the wrath of God is being poured out from heaven on those who do not obey the righteousness of God. And of course, one more note of bad news. Romans is clear that none of us can do anything about it. Romans 3.20 For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. You say, Pastor, this is pretty bad news on Christmas morning. Oh, but let me tell you the good news. All that I just shared with you in terms of bad news is absolutely true. But the good news is, unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is the good news of Christmas. Let's, let's look at it briefly this morning. The first thing that we note in verses 1 through 7 is that the gospel appears. The gospel appears. Luke chapter 2 begins by uh, telling us who was in power during the days of Christ's birth. A man by the name of Caesar Augustus. He was the first Roman Caesar to be called Augustus. When the Roman Senate during that time voted to give him that title. It's significant because the word Augustus, the title means holy, revered. And up to this point in history, it was only reserved for the Roman gods. But under Caesar Augustus's rule, strides were being made to acknowledge the Roman Caesars as gods themselves. Gods that deserve to be worshipped. In fact, historians tell us that around this same time in Luke chapter 2, many Roman cities as well as Greek cities had already adopted Caesar Augustus' birthday as a holiday. Where on that day they held him as a savior of the world. And they did so because of his great and mighty political power. And power he had. He sent out a decree, we read in verse 1, through the governors that in every place where the Roman Empire ruled, which was practically everywhere at this point in history, a census should be taken. Now the purpose of the census was for taxation, to squeeze every bit of substance Caesar could from his subjects. Doesn't seem like much has changed today, has it? And it would require a lot for the people to do this, including traveling back to the towns of their birth in order to be registered in the census and pay their taxes. And that is why, from a context perspective, we see Joseph and Mary in the full term of her pregnancy traveling from Nazareth to Bethlehem, which, let me remind you, is about a 90-mile journey, most likely on foot, That would have taken about one week in their current situation. It's not an option, by the way. They were forced to do this. And your thoughts about it are correct. It wasn't a pleasant experience. It was a miserable one. 
Think about it, ladies. Mary is in the full term of her pregnancy, the full term. She's ready to go any moment now. You remember what full term was like? Now, as a woman, I do not remember what full term was like. Only you know that as women. But as a, as a man, I remember what my wife was like in the full term of her pregnancy. And she was ready to go. Imagine, put yourself back in that situation. This is Mary's condition. And it's possible during the full term of her pregnancy that she actually walked this 90-mile journey. We say, what are the pictures of her riding a donkey? That's the problem. They're just pictures. No scripture ever says that a donkey was involved. It's just conjecture. It's possible. It's possible. But Joseph and Mary were very, very poor people. They, they didn't have the BMWs that everybody else had to make that a pretty quick trip down to Bethlehem. It's quite possible that she walked this 90-mile journey. But regardless, regardless of whether a donkey was involved or not, it was a long, cold, uncomfortable, miserable trip filled with, no doubt, a lot of anxiety because Mary knew this could happen any moment. And fellas, to make matters worse, Joseph forgot to make a reservation at the hotel in town which is the real reason there was a silent night between the two of them. <laughs> no, seriously, seriously. This was not due to Joseph and Mary's lack of planning, all right? The reason there's no room in an inn is because, one, everyone is traveling for this express purpose, and secondly, given her condition, the need to travel more slowly and cautiously most likely calls them to be some of the last to arrive in Bethlehem. So again, things are a lot different. There's no reservation system, all right? There's no Joseph uh, making a phone call, going online and booking a room to make sure it's there for them. No, you, you, you just get what you can get when you arrive. And by the time they arrive, rooms were already taken. Nothing available. Now, Joseph did the best that he could in this situation. And wherever it was where the travelers who were staying at this inn, wherever they kept their animals for the night, maybe it was a courtyard, maybe a stable, maybe a cave, as some have suggested. Whatever that was, this is where Joseph and Mary encamped. And the Bible says in verse 6 that while they were there in that location, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger. Think about it. They're exhausted, weary, emotionally beaten down. And then, ladies, the pains begin. Her water breaks. And right there among the smell of animals and the unsanitary environment of a makeshift stable, she gives birth to the creator of the world. Now, they were very loving parents. We see that immediately because what does she do? She swaddles her baby tightly in cloths. But then the only thing she had to lay him in was a manger, a, a feeding trough, a place where the animals who were parked there at the inn would go and eat their food. 
this is how the gospel arrived. This is how the gospel came to us. The eternally existent one and true God of the universe stepped down from heaven, traveled through the universe that he created and placed himself in the womb of a poor peasant teenage girl engaged to be married, knowing that his first breath on earth as a human being would be breathed in the presence of dirty, stinky animals on a cold winter's night. He willingly left his throne and laid himself in the most wretched of places, a dirty, filthy, disgusting manger. Let me remind you, That the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, did not arrive as a prince. He arrived as a pauper. And Luke goes to great lengths to show us this. He doesn't want us to ever forget that this is how God came. This is how the gospel arrived. Church, this is where Christmas began. And it's where Christianity always begins. Christ is birthed in the hearts of humble people in humble circumstances who know their insufficiencies, weaknesses, and poverty. That's where the gospel goes. To humble people in humble circumstances who know their weaknesses, insufficiencies, and poverty. You see, Jesus didn't come to the proud. He didn't come to the powerful. No, he came to the poor. He came to the powerless. He doesn't come to those who think they have it all together. No, he comes to those who knows everything is falling apart. God's arrival as a man shows us that he comes only to those who are poor in spirit in spirit. This is the qualification for the gospel to be birthed into your life, for Christ to come in, for you to experience a born-again life. This is the qualification, humility, poor in spirit, truly believing I need him, and without him, I'm nothing. The gospel arrives. Oh, and then we go to verse 8, and we see the gospel proclaimed. The gospel proclaimed. So, so the events of, of, of Christmas Day, they begin to move quickly. The good news of Jesus' birth is proclaimed to others, but not just anyone, a special chosen group of people, the shepherds. This is who receives the news first, not the high and mighty, but the poor in spirit the humble. In fact, the only people lower than the shepherds in terms of societal status at this time in Jewish history was a group of people known as lepers. Yet it is to these nobodies that the good news of the gospel is told first, those who know they need a Savior. 
The same is true for us today. Paul writes to remind us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, consider your calling, consider your election, consider your identity in Christ, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you are powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. No, no, no. God chose what is foolish in the world. God chose what is weak in the world. God chose what is low and despised in the world so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. This is who he came to. So when we start believing that we are somebody, that we've got it all together, that we've made it, the Holy Spirit comes through the Word of God to remind us, no, 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 let me tell you who you really are. You're a nobody, a weak and foolish person that without me, without me would have nothing. Jesus came to nobody's poor, despised, not people of nobility, not people of power. He comes to the shepherds. And all of a sudden, we see the sky light up and an angel appears in the shepherd's fields. Verse verse 10, the angel says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. There it is. I bring you the gospel. I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born today in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The angel proclaimed good news that would bring great joy. Good news of great joy that is available not just to the shepherds but to even us today. And this is that gospel message proclaimed. He says, a child is born today. And who is he? Three things he says about him. We see it there, right, in the scripture. He says, number one, he is the Savior. He is the Savior. Hey, this is the same message proclaimed today. The Jesus who was born in Bethlehem, he is the Savior. The Savior. What does this mean? It means that Jesus has come to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. He became a perfect man in order to become the perfect substitute by taking our sins upon himself and dying in our place. He is our Savior. That is, he is our deliverer. He is our redeemer. He is our Savior. Look into the manger this morning. Look to the cross. See him sitting high upon his throne. And who is it that you see? You see the Savior. Unto you is born this day. He is the Savior, but he's not just the Savior. He is the Christ. That's the second thing he says. He's the Savior. He's the Christ. That is, he's the Messiah, the one God anointed to fulfill his purpose of bringing grace and salvation into the world. In other words, the one who was born is indeed the Son of God. He is the Savior, the Deliverer, the Redeemer. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. The one who is the Lord's Son. This is the message that is being proclaimed by the angels to the shepherds. They're being given the gospel. Christ, the Savior, 
Christ the Messiah. But he's not just Savior in Christ. He gives us a third title. That is, this baby, he is the Lord. He is the Lord. He is the Savior. He is the Christ. He is the Lord. That is, this is God in the flesh. This is Emmanuel, the ones the prophets prophesied when he said, he will be called Emmanuel because it's God coming to dwell with you. It is God coming to be with you. Lord, Lord, he is Savior, he is Christ, he is Lord, the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth, the one who created all things, the one who sustains all things. The one who controls all things. That is this child who was born this day unto you in the city of David, Bethlehem. The one to whom all will bow. The one to whom all will confess. Church, all three of these titles preach to us the gospel, the good news. God, who is Lord of all, Lord of all. Oh, that is so very important. We don't get to pick and choose the things that God is sovereign over. He is Lord of all. He is sovereign over everything in our lives. It's important that we grasp this. God, who is Lord of all, became a man in the person of Jesus Christ and fulfilled the mission of saving sinners from the wrath of sin. All three of these titles are imperative. Listen to me. All three of them are imperative to the gospel being birthed in our hearts. It wasn't just essential to know on Christmas Day. It's essential for you to know, believe, and receive today if Christ is going to be birthed in your heart. You must know him as Savior. You must know him as Christ. You must know him as Lord. 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 You see, the world doesn't mind Jesus in a manger in Bethlehem. Last 30 days have showed you that. Anybody and everybody sings about this Jesus in the manger. All the decor, everything that's being done, they, they don't mind Jesus in a manger in Bethlehem, but they resist Jesus on the throne of their hearts. But you cannot have Jesus in the manger if he is not Jesus on the throne of your heart. Both are true and yet both are essential. Christ is Savior. He is Messiah. He is Lord. And after proclaiming that gospel message in chapter 2, look at verse 13 and 14. Suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. A multitude. Not 50. Not, not, not 500. Not 5,000. Listen, this is a host beyond the ability to count. I, I kind of want to think that perhaps every single one of God's angels showed up in that moment. They all gathered around this one angel to bring glory to this good news that God in the highest has brought peace to the earth. Think about that, friends. God in the highest has brought peace to the earth. And how has he done this? He has done this through the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. You see, the gospel of Jesus brings peace. This is what the gospel is being proclaimed. 
by angels, by us today. But for peace to be experienced, the gospel must be received. For peace to be experienced, the gospel must be received. And this is the third and final thing I want you to see before we come around the Lord's table. We see the gospel arriving. We see the gospel being proclaimed. But that was not enough. No, for this to make a difference in the lives of those shepherds, the gospel had to be received. This is verses 15 through 20. As soon as the angels went away, the shepherds said, verse 15, let us go. Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. Which the Lord has made known to us. Very important word usage being expressed here. They, they acknowledge the good news of the gospel to be the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. God has given us this message, and they respond immediately by experiencing it themselves. In fact, they did not delay. They hurried to Jesus. You talk about the Christmas rush. This was the first Christmas rush. They hurried to Jesus. Verse 16, they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Oh, this is a beautiful illustration of how the gospel is received. They received the message as true. They received the message that was being preached to them as true. And their faith became sight. They began to tell Mary and Joseph about the angelic visit and how that the angel said this child was the Savior and the Christ and, and the Lord. They, they, in these moments, were publicly affirming their faith in the good news of the gospel, which led ultimately to them giving praise and glory to God for what they had believed, received, and experienced. Verse 20, and the shepherds returned, glorifying God, praising God for everything that they had experienced. You see, it's not enough this morning to hear about Jesus. I want you to get this, and then we're going to pray. It's not enough for us to hear about Jesus. It's not even enough for us to peek into the manger this Christmas and admire the child and his family. It's not enough. You see, Christ being born in Bethlehem is about Christ being born in you. Christ being born in Bethlehem is about Christ being born in you. And unless Christ is born in you by faith, receiving him, you will be eternally lost under the wrath of God. Can't use said religious sentiment, even at Christmas, without the living Christ residing within you, is a yellow brick road to darkness. Is Christ living within you today? Yes, he's been born in Bethlehem, but has he been born in you? I, I find all of this fascinating given the backdrop that Luke gives us about Caesar Augustus. In the height of Caesar's political power, where everybody is acknowledging him as the savior of the world, the angels show up and say, no, 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 no. Let, me, let me tell you who the real savior is. You see, the real Savior was not Caesar Augustus. 
nor is it any powerful political leader today. The Savior of the world is Jesus. And He has come to those who humbly see their need for Him and by faith receive Him into their life. He is the Savior. He is the Christ. He is the Lord. Look, His birth really happened. His sinless life really took place. His death and resurrection really occurred. He is peace. He is life. He is hope. He is the good news of Christmas. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift of Jesus. Let's stand together for prayer this morning.